Well, as we uh, sing those songs tonight and around, that was sort of a, a touch of what it was like in the Jesus movement days. It was a lot of fun. These are the songs that were written during those times. And of course, by the way, that was Satan rock and roll right there. You know, as easy going as that was, that was just, you didn't do that in church. It was just, uh, at least the denomination I was raised in, that was just uh, considered taboo for a very long time. Just, you know, having a guitar, it just, no. Piano's holy, guitar is unholy. And uh, drums, for sure, is of the devil. We know that. Uh, all those kind of beats are of the devil. But as silly as it is now, and of course all those denominations now sing those and have drums and all of that, but uh, the Bible says it's, it's uh, you can't put new wine into old wineskin, you know, and then also the Bible says when you try to change, the, the, it's people's attitude to say the old is better, the old is better, you know, and it, it's, it's amazing, you know, we were for a long time in a Seventh-day Adventist building, and, and, uh, and when we moved to our own building, which is much bigger and nicer and it was people's like, oh, it just doesn't feel as worshipful as our old building. And it's funny because a lot of the kids want to get married. They want to go back to the old building to get married. They want to get married in the new building. And it was just funny, just the whole transition. And then we went from the old building to the college. It was like, oh, man, this is just too hard being in a college, you know, gymnasium. That was just, oh, I, you know, how are you going to worship God in a gymnasium? And, and uh, it was just a whole other uncomfortable filled you know and then when we went from the college it's like we love the college so much we really have to move in our own building but you know it, it's it's funny how how people are you know um how we are us not those out there but uh so we want to always be ready for the new wine and the new wine skin amen and uh but it is i mean the bible says that the rabbi takes from the new and the old so there's the old uh but it's a sweet spirit you can sense it huh just Speaks of Jesus. Well, we've been studying the book of Titus here. And uh, this is uh, Apostle Paul, who's near death, passing on to Pastor Titus how the church is to be run. And of course, they were having a lot of problems, which is to our advantage, because there was a lot of issues that needed to be addressed. And many of them uh, give us clear guidelines and directions of how it pleases the Lord to have order in the church. We looked at order with the elders and order of dealing with false teachers and orders for the believers of how things are to be in doctrine. And last week we looked at how to have order and, and being submitted to authorities, whether those are governmental authorities or whether those authorities of incidental authorities in our life, school teachers and you know, bus drivers or whoever it is, our own parents or, or whatever. We have those authorities. And then, of course, the authority that God's given in the church. And we saw there in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So to have this heart of submission and you're, you're unencumbered, you're ready to go forward for every good work because you're, you're not... Um, fighting, if you would, with the authorities that are there. And of course, again, if there was a government that needed to be overthrown, it was the Roman government. (laughs) They were a very oppressive, a very evil government. But yet, uh, in all the writings of the New Testament, it's not, let's get together and, uh, you know, let's get our guns and our, you know, bows and arrows and let's go fight and take down Rome and burn it up. That You you don't have that, that message at all in the New Testament. It's like, you know what? Honor to give honor to whom honor is due, vote, do what you can, but focus on building the kingdom of God. And so I think it's good to be politically aware. I think that's a good thing, but it should not be the focus of the church. And uh, it's easy to get into that because it's something tangible and something we can see how to put our energies in where the church is more invisible, if you would, and there's spiritual principles and it takes a long time for uh, planting the field and watering it and watch it to grow. And, uh, and so again, a, a pastor is somebody who's, you know, got a very simple 
job of just being patient and waiting, you know. He goes and opens the corral and the sheep follow him to green pastures. He stands around, watches for wolves, watch for poison. They eat and he stands around and, and then he takes them to the water and then he takes them back to the corral. It's just, uh, it, and it's day after day after day and healthy sheep will beget healthy sheep. It's not a, and, and the same with pastoring our wives or our children, um, or if you're a leader in the church, it's something that we're committing to for life. And, and much of the things that will bring us the greatest joy, we won't see for 20 or 30 years. It's, it's something that we understand that we're, we're, we're grounding the people in Christ and then we slowly see them and their children and their grandchildren follow Christ and, and the joy comes from, from seeing, as John said, in Second uh, John, this is my joy when my children walk in truth. And in Proverbs it says, if you raise up the children in the way they should go, if they depart, they will return. And, and so again, we, it's the joy of just being the rock, you know, and not moving. Being the tree that grows and grows. You know, it's this little twig and then it becomes this giant oak. Um, and so again here, we, we see continuing that sentence of Titus 3.1, so as we're submitting to authorities, we're being ready for every good work, comma, and now we come to verse 2 of Titus 3, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. This word to speak evil of no one is the word blasphemio, which we get our word blaspheme from which means not to slander their character or to curse them. And, and, and again, it's a tough line. I wish it was an easy line to say, oh yeah, we always pity the world. We always pity people when they're in sin. We don't. A lot of times our first reaction, especially if they're in our face screaming at us, is to say, hey, your sin is wicked. And, and God's going to damn it. And it's destroying your life. You can't even see it, but it's destroying you. And, and that is our first reaction, always, right? Our knee-jerk reaction is always to, you know, to bite back. <laughs> if somebody growls at us or barks at us, to bark back. And so I don't know if we can ever get good at that. I, I read this verse, I'm greatly convicted, because often uh, as I'm preaching messages, I, I get angry at not, not so much people out there sinning that are non-believers, but, but the byproduct of the suffering, you know? Um, if you, you counsel three people in a row that are, are from divorced families and you see the kids one after the next after the next suffering intensely or, or, or to, you know, talk, I, I've done this so many times, talk to, you know, ladies in, in a row with their husbands who are having all kinds of marriage problems, but each one of these girls were molested when they were 8 to 12 years old. You know what I mean? And so I want to get up Sunday and just say, you know, the perverts in the world molesting people, we should string them up, you know? I mean, that's my, my reaction of seeing the, the, the byproduct of the destructionness of sin. But at the same time, if we do that, we alienate the very people we're trying to win. And in reality, we're all sinners. And I, I really don't think when we see from God's point of view our sin is going to look much different from all the other sinners in the world. You know, we say, well, what about the Hitlers? Well, you know, Hitler murdered a lot of people. But the Bible says when we hate or we get angry and say, you idiot, that God in his book looks at the temperature of our heart, which is murder, and then the person who actually murdered I mean, obviously, the person who actually killed somebody is going to have a greater consequence on this earth and probably a more severe judgment before God. But either way, God sees both of the hearts equally full of hate and anger and frustration, and both of them are sin. And both of them are classified in the area of murder. Now, it's hard for us to see that, but, but God, who is the judge, it's not going to be a panel. <laughs> There's not going to be a, a group. It's going to be one person, God. And he's told us in advance, having anger in your heart is the same as murder. That's the way he's going to judge it. So how many times have you been angry with people? 
okay? Uh, if any of you guys have ever done construction, you, you, you've wanted to kill your, your, your list of contractors and people at the county. You know, if you, you, you're driving on the road, uh, you wanted to kill at least a few million people in your lifetime of driving. Um, you know, I, I mean, we could go down the list. We, we've all been angry enough to, to say that God's probably written down that I've killed quite a few people. Okay, from God's point of view. So I can look at the Hitler and say, oh, he's a horrible representation of evil. Sure he is. But when you put my murders next to all his murders, you know, maybe he has millions and I have hundreds of thousands. Either way, it's, it's pretty bad. Okay, I don't think I'm going to be saying, boy, I'm good. I've only killed a few hundred thousand. You've killed a few million. You know, I think we're both going to be pretty evil if we're going to be judged in our sin. And so constantly we, we have to realize when we are addressing the world that it, we don't want to put ourselves on the other side. You know, we are always coming alongside and pointing at sin and saying, as I love that saying of D.L. Moody, there go I but the grace of God. You know, every one of us, you name the sin, one way or another, we, we have all fallen short, haven't we? And we've all are realizing that if things were stacked in the same way they were for that person, I probably would have done exactly what they did. So I, I can't look at them and say, man, they've done this and this and this. Had I been raised in their shoes, gone to school where they've gone, had the friends they had, I would have probably made the same exact choices. And to think that my flesh is holier or different than anybody else's, it's just not true. And so we need to come alongside and say sin is sin. We're not changing that. It's wicked. We need to repent of it. But at the same time, when we're addressing people who are non-believers living in a sin, we can never bring across the message, you're unholy and I'm holy. You're a sinner and I'm not. No. We are of all sinners, but by the grace of God, we're saved. And by God's grace, you can also be saved. I'm not, I don't have an edge on you. I'm not holier, I'm not stronger, I'm not more righteous. The only difference is, is I've received the gift of Jesus Christ and he has come into my life and made me righteous. And by his spirit daily, I am walking in a greater holiness, but I can't take credit for any of it. It is by God's goodness. And, and if you're where I was before I came to Christ, you, you, you realize that you need some help especially with the area of your sin. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so again, to, to, to blaspheme the sinner, and again, I've done that. I, I've had the knee-jerk reaction, especially with the homosexual movement, with aggressiveness of, of trying to uh, push their agenda. And I, I've actually been looking a lot in this area and, and understanding the same-sex attraction and that there's a very small group of people that are aggressively trying to, to propagate uh, their righteous standing as a homosexual. Most people who have same-sex attractions hate it, don't want it, want to know that God loves them in spite of, of, of their temptations and their struggles and want to know that there's a way out uh, of that lifestyle or of that the desires. Many of you haven't given into the lifestyle, but they, they still have it. And that's a whole other topic I'm not going to get on right now. But So again, whatever we communicate, we don't want to communicate, you're out there, we're in here, and don't bring your filth to us. And, uh, you know, I, I've had people come to church, and uh, they've said to me afterwards, for example, um, you know, I love the songs, but I didn't want to sing because everybody in the church, they could I guess everybody could be professional singers, couldn't they? They all sound so beautiful. And I didn't want to mess it up, so I didn't sing. But that's their impression of us. They look at us, we've got our acts so together, we're so holy, and I just had a sense that I so don't fit in in that group of holy, righteous people. I'm so sinful. And we've we got to understand that that is the way we appear. And, and of course, we're looking at each other uh, much more closely, and we don't all sing that good. 
but you're, you know, you sing flat and you're singing next to a guy who sings sharp and together you guys do sound pretty good. But, uh, you know, if we stopped and said, okay, you sing by yourself, it probably wouldn't be so good about, you know, one out of 10 might. But this is their impression. And so again, when we, when we as believers, we don't want to give the impression that we're holy, don't mess it up. We've got a good righteous thing happening. Don't bring your sinfulness in here and, and taint it. No, quite the opposite. We should be constantly conveying the message. There is no difference between me and you except for the fact that I have repented of my sins and Christ has came into my life. So don't speak evil, blaspheme, if you would, slander the people in the world. They're sinners. We can love them, you know, make clear that their sin is sin, but not in a way that would make them feel alienated. And then secondly, peaceable. Uh, again, to, to, to realize that, yes, again, our, our anger towards sin needs to be weighed in the balance of hold it. Christ came and he brought peace to us. I mean, think of Jesus. Virgin born, never has sinned. And he lived day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year in a sinful world. And imagine at 30 years old when he starts his ministry, he understands that everybody he's talking to, there's not one born-again person yet, is there? He hasn't yet died and rose again. But what was his message in Luke chapter 4, verse 22? It says, so all bore witness to him. So all these non-believers, if you would, all these non-born-again people, they marveled at what? the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So how, somehow Jesus in the world that is nobody is saved, <laughs> nobody's born again. The Holy Spirit lives in nobody but him. Somehow he was able to communicate to the world God's righteousness, sin is sin, but at the same time when they heard it, I'm a sinner. They were often convicted. Remember Zacchaeus? He was eating with Jesus and at the end of the meal, he's like, I'm a sinner. I'm a thief. I'm a th-. I, you know, he made it clear and he said, man, I got to get things right. And she said, salvation's come to this house. The woman at the well, he didn't back down. You've been married five times before. The man you're living with isn't your husband. There wasn't, he didn't back down. But at the same time, the, the woman at the well, her, her response was, I want to go tell the whole city about you. So somewhere between saying sin is sin, I guess it's maybe not in words, but in the attitude. It's maybe not in the words, but how they're delivered. That somehow it's the same words. You know, you can say the same thing, right? In one way that would really tick people off. Same exact sentence in another way with a, a voice raised or a sharp attitude or a pushy attitude. And it's a whole nother message. You know, you could go out to some kids on grass you just planted and say, get off the grass! You know, and they think you're a cranky old man. Or you could go out and say, get off the grass. And it would be a whole nother message of, oh, wow, I'm sorry. I didn't plant any grass. Okay. And you didn't come across as cranky or, or any way that at all. And, and Paul says it this way in Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech, here it is, always be with grace. That was Jesus, right? His gracious words proceeded from his mouth. Season with salt. So again, there's some flavor in there that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So there's a sensitivity to each person we're talking to. That, that in essence, yes, I'm conveying the message of sin, of need of repentance, but there's a graciousness, there's a season with salt, there's a flavor to it. And the end of it is I'm being sensitive to this person hearing the message. The next person, next thing we sing is we need to be gentle. This word gentle, it, it'd be better understood, moderate or fair, forbearing. 
It's, it's a sweet reasonableness, as one translator says. So we're not talking about gentle as, you know, being gentle with a newborn baby. We're talking about a reasonableness, that there's a reasoning aspect, not this is what I believe, period, you don't like it, go to hell. You know, it's, it's, they, they're going to they're gonna disagree with you. You're going to say, you know, this is sin, and well, I don't agree with that. And there's a sense where we listen, and there's a teachableness with explaining our position. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, uh, speaking of Jesus, and here's just sort of an overall understanding of what it was like in his ministry. In, Rome, in Matthew 12, verse 18, it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice, notice, to the Gentiles. So we're not talking about mercy or love or grace here. He's going to pronounce sin is sin. But notice what he won't do in verse 19 of Matthew 12, verse 19. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. So there's not an aggressiveness, if you would. There's not a boisterousness. There's not a pushiness with it. Furthermore, we see that in verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. What's this talking about? If you've ever seen a tree, maybe a, a plum tree, and it has a little branch that's cracked. Somebody walked by and broke it and it's sort of hanging by its skin. The first reaction is just rip it off and use it to pick your teeth or something. But he's saying, in essence, Jesus would put it back and tape it up and see if that newness of that branch could, you know, through sap and so forth, mend it back. And then he goes on to say, a smoking flack he will not quench. Again, you see, a, uh, if you would, a, a bowl of oil and a candle on top of the oil and there's just about no oil left. The candle's barely flicking and the, the first reaction, just you know, lick your fingers, snuff out the thing and take out the candle and pour some new oil and put it back in, the wick, put the wick back in. But no, not with Jesus. He would take the, the bowl and gently turn it and pour oil on it, never snuffing out the candle. And then it would be filled back up and the wick is always burning in that process. So it's, it speaks of a delicateness. It speaks of a, a precision. We, we see with Jesus, he's not just a, a bull, you know, marching through the, the grove and breaking branches off and, you know, tough. Whatever gets broken, that's their problem. I'm this big, righteous bull going through the orchard. He, he's, he's not this one coming in, all oh, that thing's just about gone anyway, snuff it out. It's not, it's not what we see with Christ. And then notice, he, this is going to continue to be his attitude till what? In the end of verse 20, till he sends forth justice to victory. So this, is, this would be our ministry as well. Justice has not yet seen victory. That'll happen in the millennial reign. And, he, and in his name, Gentiles will trust. So he'll produce justice. He'll preach justice. He'll declare justice. But it will cause Gentiles or heathen, non-believers, to come to be believers. The next thing we see there in verse 2, he will also show all humility to all men. And again, this humility, it would be better translated a genuine consideration even though he has the power, even though he has the right to judge and, and to, to make it clear that you're wrong and that he, he's, he's considering in gentleness the situation. We see this humility, again, described of Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So who is Jesus looking at? He's looking at the non-Christian world and he's not saying, you know, you're just an uncaring drunk. You're just a, a pervert. You're just a mean person hitting your wife and, and being a loud and abusive to your kids. And, and, and with the attitude of, you know, I'll come over and blacken your eye like you blacken your wife's eye. You know, I'm going to come over and take that beer bottle out of your hands and crash it on the ground. You're a drunk and you're 
not providing for your family and you're losing every joy. There's not, there's not that, that sense of, of, of heaviness. He, he realizes that sin is that which is destroying their life. And you know, if you, did, if you were to go up to just about anybody on the earth anywhere and say, would you like to be better than you are? I would almost say 100% of the time, it's in the heart of every one of us who are made in the image of God to say, yes, I want to be better than I am. Do you want to be better than you are in every area of your life? I do. <laughs> if you talk to, to most people who can't control almost any area of their life, whether it's alcohol or drugs or being overweight or being loud and boisterous, it doesn't matter. And to say, would you like to have the keys to control that? Yes. I I, I would be willing to have that area of my life disappear, but I can't. They're, They're laboring, they're heavy laden, their flesh, the world, the devil, is taking advantage of them. And Jesus is looking at the world, if you would, as victims to the sin of Adam and Eve that we inherited, victims of the the power of Satan, victims of their own flesh. And he says, as he looks upon them, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, the big giant block of wood that was put on oxen to control them. Take my yoke which is his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, walking in in a way that's perfect. That's a heavy yoke. And he says, learn from me. For I am, notice how he describes himself, gentle and what? Lowly in heart. That's the same concept as humble. I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So even though I'm putting this heavy yoke saying you need to stop your sin, it needs to end, you need to begin living a holy, righteous life, yet in the process of this drastic change, I love in Acts where it says, when Paul came to the city, it says, here are these guys who are turning the world upside down. One commentator said, no, they're turning the world right side up. Sin and Satan and our flesh has turned the world upside down. And in essence here, he's saying, in the midst of your world being turned upside down or right side up, you'll still find a rest for the souls. Why? Because of Jesus' nature of being gentle and humble. For my yoke is easy, he says in verse 30, and my burden is light. So even though it's heavy because of how I present it and because of the power of the Spirit and because of this beautiful, gentle, humble spirit, you're going to find a very difficult task not being overwhelming because you're going to find somebody on your side. You're going to find somebody there who's sympathetic and understanding and empathetic and caring. So come to me. In essence, I'm caring. I'm caring about where you're at. I'm caring where you'll be tomorrow. I care about where you'll be a year from now. And so often in the world, there's a saying that you all know, that people often don't want to hear what you have to say till they know how much you care, right? And in essence, they sense that in Jesus, a great care. And boy, I, you know, again, it's just so often we can just sort of machine gun out our doctrines and our truths and not take into consideration how heavy somebody's load is and what's really going on in their life. And so here he's saying, as we... Uh, go back as we're submitted to authorities. Now we're talking about those who are not in authority too, but at the same time, we don't want to be blasting the world. We want to be peaceful and gentle and in humility, coming with the truth. We're right. We have the truth. We, are, we have the one way, but there still has to be this spirit, this character of gentleness and care. Well, verse 3 One way we can understand and and have an understanding spirit is consider where we once were. Notice in verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once deceived. We were once serving various lusts and pleasures. We were once living in malice and envy 
and hatefulness and hating one another. And, and, and so often as we've been a Christian, even for a short time, you know, we, we have an ability to forget the bad things, don't we? Just sort of to blank out and forget the things we said that were so stupid or things we had done that were so foolish and just remember the good. But he's saying in this case and in this way, we sort of need to remember that, that we once were in the same exact situation they were in. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's sort of a heavy thing. Don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not go to heaven, period. But then what's the attitude we're to deliver this in? In verse 11 there, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So we could go through the list. Some of you were fornicators. You had sex before marriage. And so now you see somebody who's living with their boyfriend or girlfriend or they're, they're feeling convicted or condemned about their situation. Well, such were some of you. But you've sort of tried to mask that fact. And you're sort of dreading the day, maybe when your kids become 13 and they realize you've been married 11 years and they start doing the math and, they, and you're dreading that day. You shouldn't be. Because we as Christians, we're not supposed to, to try to forget where Christ has brought us from. It's, it's a part of our testimony. That's what I was. You know, I love the description of, of Mary Magdalene. She once had seven demons in her. <laughs> a woman who was a witch. Some kind involved in, in some kind of heavy, I don't know, witchcraft. And she ended up with seven demons in her. But now she's one of the closest followers of Jesus. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals or sodomites. But in all these things, you've been washed. You've been cleansed. There's hope. So a guy comes to church and says, I'm an adulterer. My wife has left me. My family's disowned me. I, you know, and now I come to this holy church and I, I'm sure you guys hate me too. And there's some amongst us that can say, and such was I. But I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm, I, I, it's a great thing. You, you've, whatever it's taken to you, for you to come to the bottom, God can forgive that. Or, or maybe homosexuality. And again, we're in a world where it's saying this is a good, wonderful thing. It's sin, and we need to say it's sin. But then we need to quickly say, and such were some of us. But we've been cleansed. We've been healed. We've been sanctified. Thieves, <laughs> covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. All of these people that are going to be on their way to hell, all of us also are on, once on our way to hell. But God intervened and washed us and sanctified us and justified us by the power of his spirit. Well, he goes on to say, and such were some of you, you were foolish. The word foolish there is, it would be better translated, just ignorant. Just ignorant of spiritual things. Um, we're back in uh, Titus there. So we're just uninformed, just have no understanding whatsoever about the things of God. And uh, it is an embarrassing thing when you realize as you start reading the Bible, I can't believe how turned around my mind was. I can't believe how good was evil and evil was good. You know, I've had people come in and, you know, maybe after a prayer meeting on Sunday night and They'll come up and just say, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine eight months ago, I, I would have completely hated a bunch of Christians that get together Sunday night and sing songs to Jesus and study the Bible and then pray for an hour. I would have thought, I mean, I would have just made the 
just absolute fun of you. I would have mocked you. And now here I am. It's the highlight of my week. I'm just so ashamed that I was just in such blindness that something that was so good, I saw is so evil. I've had, on many occasions, women who, who got abortions. And just the idea of having kids just was such a grief to them to be pregnant, to have kids. I never want to have kids, especially as a single mom or whatever. And then, and to realize now, I love kids. So when I became a Christian, God changed my heart and, and just something I, that's so precious to God. I, how did I hate that? I just, this career-minded woman, you know, was gonna make my own. And now it's like, everything that was precious to God wasn't precious to me. How, how could I be so blind? But again, with all of us, we go through that. There's just a real ignorance and we need to realize that. That we also, before Christ, many of us just had no concept of purity or holiness or righteousness. Maybe you stole from your company that you worked at and you thought it was such a wonderful thing. And now you realize, I spent 20 years stealing from my boss. I pinned it out the other day it probably came up to $200,000 over the last 20 years. Nickel and dime my boss. I work at a grocery store over here or, or a lumber, or, lumber yard or whatever. And again, just the realization that people are just ignorant. They don't know. They don't even see it as stealing. They just can't conceptualize it. And then we go on to say, such were some of you. You were disobedient. Again, this word disobedient just to means to have, have no sense of submission to God's authority. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We, we begin to realize that if you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 20 years, you realize it's a continual revelation how sinful we really are, isn't it? I, I remember, you know, being 10 years in the Lord and just realizing I am so far away from being an obedient person. There is still so much disobedience that I'm, I'm completely blind to. Been realized, man, Lord, you're so patient, you're so kind. And then we see we were also deceived. This, this means to be led astray. In Revelation 12, 9, it says that great dragon, <laughs> that serpent of old, that devil, that Satan who deceives the whole earth. We also at one time believed the spirit of this age. We believed the lies of what people told us. Such were some of us serving various lusts and pleasures. You know, there, there's so many, and I, I've talked to people and, you know, sort of start giving the testimony of the various lusts, lusts and pleasures that I was a part of, and they're like, that's not me at all. But guess what? They have their own set of lusts and pleasures that they gave into. You know, we, we, it may be completely different for one person than another person. For one person, it might have been money or power. For another person, it might have been sexuality. You know, but the bottom line is at some point, we listened to our flesh and lived trying to gratify our flesh. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, just like everybody else, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's a term for Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. You know, the spirit of this age says, just do it. You know, the, the playboy mentality, whatever feels good, do it. And people just, man, I feel like getting drunk, I got drunk. I feel like getting high, I get high. I feel like having sex, I work it out to have sex. And I just, you know, whatever my flesh wants, I give it. And then we come into Christ and we realize, my spirit saved, my flesh isn't. I have to daily beat my body into subjection. My flesh wants to spend time and money and energy and focus this way and 
Every one of those would weaken me spiritually. Every one of those would maybe even take me away from Christ. And now as a Christian, we, we fulfilled the desires and the appetites of the spirit, not the flesh. And we realized that, man, just because my flesh has this impulse, it, it doesn't mean it gets it. Matter of fact, most of the time, it doesn't. If you've raised little kids, you know how that is. You know, 10 o'clock at night. I don't want to go to bed. I need ice cream, you know. Well, I understand. You, you want to stay up later. You can't. You're an hour past your bedtime. And your, your body feels like it needs ice cream. I understand that. I have that same craving about every night about this time. I, I, I understand that. The answer is no. You're the worst parents in the world. You hate me. You know, I wish I had other parents. And, it, and it's, it's just, you've got to teach them at a young age. Just because your flesh feels it or desires it doesn't mean it's right. Matter of fact, often to walk in a way that's pleasing, whether it's to your spouse or to your kids or to God or to one another, we often do what pleases others and absolutely doesn't please us. Matter of fact, what you're wanting me to do is going to completely grieve my flesh, not my spirit, but my flesh. You know, my wife, you know, wants me to go shopping with her and walk around the mall for hours. It's like everything I don't want to do. <laughs> but yet it pleases her and you learn. And you know what? It's interesting. After a few years, you start enjoying some of the things that you used to hate. You do enjoy them. So you can retrain, if you would, your, your appetites. And then we also once lived in malice. This is just a vicious character. Just being vicious. Being an angry, lashing out person. And man, you, you see the world with that, that inability to rein in their, their, their viciousness. You know, the mob mentality. You know, and, and you see that. And it's just, it grieves you. Just realizing there, there's just a self-preservation. And it can go on the other side of the coin. Where you hear about, you know, or see on television where a guy's getting mugged, an old man's getting mugged, and everybody just ignores it. Or a girl's getting raped and by a group of gang guys. And there's no way, I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to get away from that. And in, in, in essence, they love their life so much, they're, they're not going to put their life at risk. It's a serious evil. The sin of commission or omission. The sin of, of, of lashing out because I'm angry. Because, you know... What do you mean? This is McDonald's. You want me to go park and wait for one minute for my hamburger? Ah, rebellion. Give me my hamburger now. You know, or whatever it is. You know, we, we just have that, that viciousness of my rights, my, you know, this is my territory. This is my lane. This is my, and, and, and not to lash out. That was us. We couldn't control it. You were once full of envy. And this is, again, um, having insatiable desires and, and angry that other people are fulfilling those desires. In Ecclesiastes 1.8, it says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. If you're stuck on pornography <laughs> and you, you think, man, looking at one more naked person is going to satisfy me, it'll never be satisfied. One or one zillion one hour or a zillion, it'll never be satisfied. Nor the ear filled with hearing. And again, whatever that is. The body, it's impossible for the flesh to ever come to a place of, of a saturation of level of saying it is enough. Whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's the, the, the sexual appetites that we've just let go until there's a greater desire than can be met. We, you got to realize, that, and that was us. We were we were in a we were in a vacuum that that was eventually going to destroy us physically or destroy relationships. Definitely destroy God's plan for our life. But God intervened. You also were once hateful. You basically despise any anyone and anything, and then you were hating one another. That often includes yourself. Just a real disdain for mankind and for yourself. You look in the mirror saying, I just hate you. 
I really do. I hate your hair. (laughs) I hate the way you look. I hate your skin tone. I hate that wart right there. I hate my ears. It's amazing how, again, we just sort of just have a disdain. I hate this traffic. I hate this job. I hate this marriage. I hate these kids. I hate, you know, my new couch I just bought. I hate, I hate you know, there's just a, a continual despising of what we have. It's never enough, and we're mad about it. And then in verse 4, but when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards men appeared. I love that in the Bible, but. This was us, but. But God, but the love of Christ, but the love and the kindness of God intervened. In the midst of our hateful, hating, condemning, depressed, self-seeking, appetites that can't be satisfied in the midst of this this world that's just getting darker and darker. Was that you before Christ? I know in my world, I was 15 years old and I, I could not be full of more hate. I was so angry and everything angered me. And I had no problem starting swinging didn't matter if the guy was 10 feet taller than me. It didn't matter if it was an adult. It didn't matter if it was a guy or a girl. I was just angry. You came by in a car and I was walking on the road and I thought you were too close. I'd kick your car. I, I was just, I had an anger and I, I just remember thinking, I'm going to end up in prison. There is just nothing to stop. Eventually, I'm going to cross a line that I, I can't stop. I won't even tell you about the bad things I did. Those are the good things. I was angry. And I I definitely remember coming to a point going, I am going to self-destruct. And my parents had divorced. I was in a U-Haul coming from Texas to California. And I was in this U-Haul. It was somewhere between Texas and Arizona. And, And it was but God. I was just very clear. I knew the gospel And I just knew I had to give my life to Jesus or I was going to self-destruct. And I gave my life out of desperation to Christ. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit came into me and the anger issues were gone. I'm not saying I didn't wrestle with anger. Uh, Beyond that, I did. But I can tell you that 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 character of anger, that self-destructing anger, God replaced. It was gone. And I was on a pattern to, to, to leave that. For maybe you, it's selfishness or self-consuming. Or maybe it was work. It was your idol. It was your career or getting bigger and better and newer. But God, <clears throat> and he brought his kindness. That's the first thing. In Romans 2, it tells us in verse 4, or do you despise the riches and the goodness, the forbearance, the long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness or the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That's one of the first things we realize, just how kind God is to us in the midst of being so selfish. He's not selfish at all. In the midst of being so angry, he loves us. And then we realize how much he loved us. And it gave us a sense of gratitude of humility, the realization that if you love me, you're loving a hateful, evil, selfish, self-seeking person, and you want me. Why? I mean, it's like going to an apple tree and picking the rottenest, smelly, ugliest apple. You picked me. And there's just a sense of deep gratitude. And then in verse 5, which we'll cover in detail next week, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But God intervened with his kindness and his love. He revealed it to us. And then not by our works. He didn't give us a religion that said, okay, now you know who I am. Start working towards being right in your life. We couldn't. I don't know about you, but I had no ability to end my anger. I had no ability to change where I was at. I don't think I had a desire to. 
I sort of had grown accustomed to my bitterness. It was my friend. But there is a point where it's like, I can't even will it. (laughs) I'm just so numb, I can't even feel it. But that's where, again, it's not by our feeling it. It's not by our knowing how to get there. It's just by receiving his mercy. It's just by receiving the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to break that down into each part next week and and look at that as as well on down to verse 8. But a powerful, powerful passage there before us. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you that as we think tonight, just chipping away at this passage, that for us tonight, Lord, to, to realize what great compassion you had on the sinners, that you, you didn't come in a self-righteous spirit as the Pharisees did. You didn't, even though you spoke very plainly, um, this is sin. <laughs> You've been married five times before. The man you're living with isn't your husband. Or um, many other things. You made it very clear about self-righteousness and sinfulness. But at the same time, there was always a sense that, that you were there to save, that you were there to help, that you were there in kindness and love and, and goodness to, to get us where we needed to be. And Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we ask that that same spirit of Christ would be upon us, that we would have our words with grace, seasoned with salt, being sensitive to the world around us, that each one would hear the gracious words of your spirit from our mouth. And Lord, we'd also just want to stop and just to remember where we were at. For some of us, maybe it was a week ago we got saved. For some, it might have been 10 years ago or longer. But we need to remember <clears throat> how hopeless we were before you came into our lives. And, and we thank you, Lord, that no sinner should ever be ashamed here, or ever feel condemned here, and, and never feel that we're superior and they're lesser. Lord, help us indirectly or directly if we've ever communicated that message to to help there be a sense of we're in the same spot. We're the same people. We're made of the same flesh and blood. There's no difference between us and you except we know Christ and you can too. Lord, give us your wisdom and just let that spirit of evangelism come upon us this week that we would all try to share that beautiful, gracious message from your spirit to to the people around us. Let us be a light to the world around us, like a city set on a hill. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, uh, just pray for one another. Ask the people around you. And feel free to take a moment and share what God has shared with you tonight or this week. And encourage one another. That's a big part of what we do here at a fellowship. We need uh, to be anointed with oil myself and other elders will be here to do that. Come forward. God bless you. Bye-bye.